Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Now, as we've, last few Sundays, we are out of the church in the community, and we are now the church to the world, and we're seeing the gospel spread. We're seeing uh, people come to Christ that if you had asked the disciples uh, during the three years of Jesus' venture on earth, if if they had thought, hey, you think this person will come to Jesus? Oh, no. Uh, You think the gospel will be open to these people? Probably not. We don't know. That's not going to happen. As we've worked through Acts, we've seen salvation for the Jews. We saw the, the church in the community and them regularly evangelizing in the temple, reaching the, the, their immediate context, which would have been the Jews of Jerusalem. Then, in their uh, ministry there, in their uh, evangelistic outreach in the temple, we see them in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, verse 7, begin to even reach the priesthood of the temple, which was a major step. No longer is it just the average person who... Some of the intellectually elite could say, well, they just duped those people. They're snowed by their ideas. Um, they uh, are now the ones who studied, really studied the, the law and the prophets, and they are coming to Jesus. So we moved a step further there. Then in chapter 8, we see salvation for Samaritans, which now we've moved a, a, another step. Okay, they're still sort of kind of Jewish. Uh, ethnically, we've got a connection. Religiously, there's a connection there. They, they still have some sort of, Jeruz- uh, of Judaism, though there would be arguments about exactly what that looked like between the Jews and the Samaritans of the day. Then the Ethiopian eunuch, who was a Gentile but was a God-fearer, uh, a, a convert to Judaism, so, okay, ethnically, we've gone way outside of what we thought would be reached, but, okay, he's still, he's still a Jew. He, I mean, he's still Jewish. Uh, he still worships the correct God. So this, this is working out all right. Um, even then, a little later in chapter uh, 8, we see Philip in parts of Samaria continuing to witness to Samaritans uh, and even uh, the, the gospel even being available to Simon the magician, uh, someone who, okay, again, still Jewish, but wow, that's a pretty, pretty far leap, huh? A, not even a, really a God-fearer, probably, the right ethnicity, but the wrong religion. So we've, we've seen evangelism to the correct ethnicity and the correct uh, religion. We've seen evangelism to the wrong ethnicity, but the correct Religion. We've seen evangelism to sort of the right ethnicity and sort of the right uh, religion, and we've seen evangelism to the right ethnicity, but the uh, no religion at all, or at least just abject, pure paganism in the case of the magician. But now we come to Saul. Now we come to the Damascus Road experience. We've got the perfect ethnicity, as Paul will tell us later on in his letters about his, uh, Jew, uh, his Jewish bona fides. We've got the perfect religion, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he tells us, who followed the law perfectly. 
but a persecutor of the church. So if we were looking at this on a, a spectrum of how far away we're getting from who they thought could be saved, we've just about reached, probably in their mind, the outer limits. Okay, it's one thing to be a, a, the wrong ethnicity but the right religion, and it's one thing to be the wrong, wrong ethnicity but the right religion, but to be this guy, this guy who is chasing us down, we're going to see, in order to have us at the very least thrown in prison, but the goal is much worse than that. It's incredible the lengths that the gospel will go. And that's what we're going to see this morning, the lengths of grace. How far is God willing to go to save people? Well, we're not going to plumb the depths of it even this morning. We're just taking one more step toward who God is willing to save. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19a, where just the first half of that verse, uh, verse 19 is what we'll, we'll stop at this morning. Read along with me. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? said Saul. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus. Sorry, I think I skipped a verse there. Hold on. I skipped it on the screen too, didn't I? Yep. Because if it's not on the screen, it's not in here. Verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. Makes much more sense now, doesn't it? And the Lord said to him, to the, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, this isn't my sermon this morning, but I think uh, we got a good illustration that I'll briefly say. Anytime we take something out of Scripture, if the part we don't like, a part we don't want to deal with, or a part that's hard, or a part that we just don't think matters to us, 
we miss something. That reading is a good example, just, you know, an accidental leaving out of a verse and suddenly Scripture no longer makes the sense that it should. Y'all, it's like that anytime we remove parts of Scripture that we find uncomfortable. That's not my sermon this morning, but it made a good object lesson, I think. The lesson this morning, though, is the length of grace, the, the length that grace will go in order to save people. Verses 1 and 2 give us the beginning of that. They, they give us the lengths of sinfulness. Now, this is not the how, how, uh, how far or how sinful grace can be, but it's how deeply into sin grace can reach and pull a sinner out of it. Saul, verse 1, tells us he was uh, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Saul was the enforcer here. Saul was the one who was going around and rounding people up. He had uh, the, the permission of the high priest. Very likely, Saul did not do the dirtiest work. Uh, he probably didn't do the, the actual killing, the, the murdering. Uh, at this time, Rome still had to give permission for, uh, for Israel to execute somebody. Now, the exception to that was Stephen, but that wasn't the high priest or the Sanhedrin issuing an, uh, a, a um, edict. Conviction, that's the word I was trying to come up with. Issuing conviction, that was mob rule coming in and, and taking over. But anything that was official, Rome had to approve. But that did not mean they didn't try. And that didn't mean that they weren't going to take every effort or make every effort in order to uh, execute those who were stirring up trouble. Folks, this was happening in our own churches as recently as the 1700s when people were still being executed for not conforming to what the church said was accurate. It's happened throughout history. Thankfully, the, the Christian church has stopped doing that in the last two to three hundred years, but it is not far from our past that you were executed if you baptized adults. Baptists were executed, drowned, burned, because they simply believed what we believe. That when you become a believer, when you accept Christ, that is when you are baptized, not when you are an infant and can't make a decision for Christ. That happened in the 1600s. Early 1700s, we were still, uh, in the U.S., we were still uh, executing uh, um, Quakers and uh, other non state-sanctioned religions, uh, uh, not religions, sorry, denominations. It's not that far out of, our, out of our context that that sort of thing has happened. And here we see that Saul was the enforcer who was doing this. He was likely giving the, given these letters by Caiaphas, the same high priest who was over the Sanhedrin when Peter and John showed up back in chapter 4 of Acts. And you've got to, you've got to know people were thinking, and Luke even probably when he was writing this was going, I still can't believe this this is this happened. Uh, he's writing it down. They understood Simon the magician. 
I think they probably got that. All right, Simon the Magician, he, he was uh, using the gospel for his personal gain. Okay, we understand maybe grace can go that far. But Saul the persecutor, that's somebody else. He is intent on the destruction of the gospel. God, why would you chase him? Why does he get to be saved? And don't look at me like you've never, never thought that. I, I've, uh, I know of uh, a person, uh, actually I believe she was uh, someone my mother knew uh, years back that uh, did not believe, this was her specific example, did not believe that Ted Bundy could have been saved. Now if you're not of a certain age, Ted Bundy doesn't mean as much to you as it does if you're over a certain age. Um, I won't say what those ages are. Um, but she just couldn't believe it. There, there won't be murderers in heaven, she said. Hate to break it to her, <laughs> but there are going to be a lot of murderers in heaven. Because there, there, there's, there's no one who's outside the, the, the possibility of grace. There is no one whose sin puts them out of God's reach. And that is the message of point one this morning. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what you are doing. It does not matter what you are wrapped up in, what your past is, what your present is, and it even doesn't matter what your tomorrow is. The grace of God is enough to save you. There's no sinfulness that it will not reach into and pull you out of. The second length of grace that we see is the length of distance. Verse 2 tells us that there was a community of believers in Damascus. That's where Paul, uh, Saul at this point was going so that he could round up. If he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he could bring them as persecutors. The gospel had spread already to now this foreign country. Okay, let's, let's get, if we can, get the map in our head just a little bit. The circle there is, is Jerusalem. Samaria was a region, but it wasn't another country. It wasn't a whole other country like Texas is, um, like Syria was for them. Syria would have been to the west of uh, Jerusalem. Damascus would have been to the west of Jerusalem, across the Jordan, and on over there. And now the gospel's there. There was, there was no organized effort to evangelize Damascus. There was no plan on the part of the disciples, as far as we can tell, as far as is recorded in Acts, the disciples getting together and saying, all right, guys, now, um, we know Philip is going to magically appear in a few places. We'll let God take care of that. Uh, but uh, we... Let, let, how about we go to Damascus? There was no plan. I mean, the, the plan at first was, we've got to stay here in Jerusalem. And it was the persecution that began to per push them out. And that's how we have now uh, a, a group of believers, a community of faith in the city of Damascus. It, it's those that are fleeing persecution that have made up this community. Damascus, um, Nadine, when you went on your Holy Land trip, did you go to Damascus? Did you, you didn't get to go there? Damascus is literally one of the oldest cities in the world. It has been around almost as long as there are, have been cities. 
Uh, it's crazy how old that one city is. Um, and it's just been built up on itself over and over and over the years. It was a, a crossroads. It was a way to go from Egypt to Mesopotamia. It was, it was a major and has always been, and, and it still is. It's still the capital of Syria. And here is this fledgling community that was not planned, that was not uh, uh, programmed in this town. Uh, something we can see here is from Jerusalem, the gospel has reached all four compass points. It has begun to spread. First, Philip was in Samaria, and then he was uh, whisked away down to uh, the road on the way to Gaza, and then he was whisked away, uh, well, he traveled to the road to, on the road to Gaza, and then he was whisked away down to Gaza and worked back up the coast, back up to Caesarea. So we've covered the south, the, e, uh, the west, the north in Samaria, and with Damascus now, the, the gospel is spreading west. Your takeaway from the lengths of distance that the gospel will go is that a growing Christian community should be the natural result of the existence of Christians. The existence of a Christian community should be the natural, natural result of the existence of Christians. People of First Baptist Church sulfur. If we never have another outreach program at this church, if we never have any sort of evangelistic process planned and, and scheduled at this church, we should still be reaching people for Jesus. Why? Because a growing Christian community should be the natural result of the existence of Christians. People... It is not this building's, this organization's responsibility to present you opportunities to share the gospel. Every day of your life is an opportunity to share the gospel. Every day we come into contact with lost people. If you get out of your house at all, you come into contact with lost people. And if we are a growing Christian community, if we are, uh, not, rather not if we are growing, if we are an active, believing Christian community, then growth should be a natural result of that. There was no evangelism plan for the city of Damascus, and yet there was a growing Christian community in Damascus. Why? Because Christians lived there. Period. How was the church growing? Because Christians were there. They didn't have faith in EE and CWT and all these other things. They just lived. And the gospel spread. There is no length of distance that the gospel will not go. Number three, there's no length of method that the gospel will not use. Verses 3 through 9 give us the, the Damascus Road experience of Saul. We see this, this amazing uh, um, Vision, but it wasn't just a vision, it was real, it, was, it wasn't just a dream, it was actual. We see this presentation of Jesus, to, uh, of, of, of himself to Saul. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And, and that Lord, let's not take it to mean too much. He didn't know it was Jesus. It was, a, it was a word of respect, but let's not weaken it too much. He knew, hey, this ain't just some random guy I've met on the road. There's more here. Somewhere in between is what Saul understood, and he probably got, this is probably some sort of a heavenly vision. I need to 
tread lightly here. But so far, evangelistic growth has come from other believers. Philip goes various places. The, the apostles meet at the Solomon's Colonnade in the temple. Um, the, the Damascus community is growing because of people who were persecuted and, and traveled up there and moved there. It's always been from other believers, but at this point now, Jesus decides to do something out of the ordinary. And it's likely because, if I've got to try to delve the depths of God's plan and mind, it's because of the nature of the one called. Can, can we doubt seriously that of all the persecutions that Saul had been involved in, that he had never heard an explanation of the gospel? We actually know that he did because we know Stephen's sermon right before he was stoned. And Saul sitting there, coats over his arm, probably tapping his foot, thinking, y'all going to kill him yet or what? The gospel was shared. The message was clear. There were believers that came to Christ because of that. Paul knew the gospel, but it would not be a regular, I'll say, a, a simple gospel presentation from one of his peers that would change his mind and heart. Paul didn't think he had peers, very likely. There was no one as good as him in his mind, it, 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 it seems. Uh, there had been no other conversion experience like this conversion uh, of Saul. It, it never happened this way. It's akin to what happened to Abraham uh, and that calling out of Ur, it, it, from, from polytheism, polytheistic paganism to uh, monotheistic Yahweh worship. It, it was similar to that, but, but Abraham wasn't persecuting. Abraham was just lost. He was just wrong. Paul here is called from persecuting, well, Jesus says, him. He, he, this is the, the first, but certainly not the last of the correlation between Jesus and the church. They are one and the same. Paul, or Saul is asked, why are you persecuting not believers, not the church? But Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we hear the echo, right, of Jesus saying, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And now, Jesus makes that clear to Saul, what you have done to the church, you have done to me. This sort of conversion experience, though, is, is not without similar parallels today. Nothing exactly like this that, that we are uh, truly, can, can be confirmed. I, I read one story about a, a, a fairly famous, um, I don't remember now what country he was from, uh, became an evangelist, uh, a Christian evangelist, and he had a very similar vision uh, of, of someone coming to him in a dream and telling him, I am Jesus and you need to follow me. And then it was later on that once he was uh, met a missionary, that he read the story of Saul and kind of Oh my goodness, that's basically what happened to me. That, that story is a little, it's questionable if, if the egg came first or the chicken came first on that one. It, it, but there was a story that uh, I just shared this video a couple of days ago from our international mission board, David Platt talking. I don't know how many of y'all watched that video after I shared it. 
where David Platt, stole, Platt told the story of uh, a missionary in the Philippines uh, talking to a, uh, a, a kind of a, a tra- circuit-riding pastor evangelist who was uh, a Filipino who had just bought a new jacket and was going to be riding his motorcycle, and there was a storm coming, and he, he asked the, the, the missionary, do you have a, a, something I can put on over my new jacket? I don't want my new jacket to get wet on the way home, so can you uh, give me something? And the guy said all he had was this old white T-shirt, and he said, yeah, put this over it. Maybe it'll help a little bit. So the, the gentleman goes off on his motorcycle, and... Um, he, it starts to rain, and he's too much for the white T-shirt to, to help, so he pulls off to the side, and there was a, a family uh, uh, across the street in their home saw him and invited him in, and, and, which was, is customary there, and invited him in for tea. Uh, they sat down, and he got the spirits leading to ask these people about Jesus, and did they... Had they ever heard the gospel? Had, had they, were they familiar with the, the, the gospel? And he explained it to them briefly, and they said, oh, yes, we want to be saved. And he was like, uh, oh, okay, this was, this was kind of easy, but um, are you sure? I mean, are you sure you understand what I've just explained to you? He, he was blown away by how quickly they responded. Are you sure you want to do that? Yes, yes, absolutely. We want to be saved. Just tell us how to do it. And and they, he said, how are you so, so uh, eager? And he said, for a few nights, I had a dream about a man coming to me and telling me how I can be saved. And then last night, for the first time, in that dream, the man came to me and said, someone tomorrow will be standing outside your home in white and will come and will tell you how to be saved. So when I looked outside and I saw you standing in that white t-shirt, I knew you were the person that dream told me about. I had to invite you in. And when you came in and said, can I tell you how to be saved, that's all I needed to hear because I knew you were coming. Now that is the president of our international mission board just a few days ago telling that story. This is not some, some loon telling it you know, from... 100 years ago that we can't verify that is God still working in ways that we can't understand that we can't fathom and the thing we need to understand here is that God is not boxed in by methods God does not need us he uses us he wants us he has commanded us we are instruments of his but he does not need us. God can save people however he wants to save people. We have our directives, so we can't ask, okay, well, you know, we'll just leave it to you, God. No, he doesn't, no, it doesn't, didn't work that way. He told us what we, are, should, what we should do. God is not boxed in by these, 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 these ideas of ours. And then we see now with Saul in the end of this, this method of, of calling him, that, God ha- that Saul has new letters of directives. He had the letter from the high priests, his command from the high priest. Well, now he's got his command from the high priest, the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ himself. So God will go to any length of method 
to save people. And then fourth, he go, the, we see the lengths of assurance that God will offer. Verses 10 through 14 tell us of a man named Ananias. Obviously, this is not the same Ananias who, who got in trouble with the offering plate. Different Ananias lived in Damascus. We see that, that God is working strongly in the community of uh, the small Christian community in Damascus. Look, we don't know anything about this man. We don't know if he used to live in Jerusalem, if he is uh, from Damascus, nothing. And look how God is using him. This is only, we can kind of date what's going on here by the fact that it was probably Caiaphas, the high priest, and he was no longer high priest in 36 AD. It transferred to his son, uh, Jonathan. Um, so this is happening now at least before 36 AD, which is probably three to six years after the crucifixion. So we're not far beyond everything that has, has happened. We, we have this somewhat small community, and here we have a man that we know nothing about that gets that much of a mention in the New Testament, and yet he is the one that welcomes Saul to the faith. Don't underestimate your usage. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I want to I say this anyway. Don't underestimate your usage in the kingdom of God. You don't know what your responsibility might be in talking, ministering, sitting with that person. God can use any of us. Remember, we've talked about the assistant, the benevolence committee being used. And here we've got just, just a guy. And God shows up and talks to him. He's, he's clear that multiple visions have set this up. I've, I, I, I came in a vision to Saul, he will tell Ananias. And, and he's now in a vision to Ananias. And he tells Ananias that Saul has seen another vision. Uh, see how God is working? See how God has orchestrated this? See how God has been working before he invited people to join him? In his work, it seems like there's a theme here that maybe we've been working on for a little while about how God is working in an area and his, his, his invitation, his, his showing us that is inviting us to do it. But look at Ananias' response. Verse 13, Lord, um, I'll paraphrase here. You know this is Saul, right? I mean, the Saul. I think that's his first name. The Saul. The one you, you've heard about the persecution. Okay? You're, you, you know who this man is. Look at Ananias' doubts. In a vision, God says, Ananias, I've given a vision to Saul, go to him. And Ananias argues with a vision. There's some humor there. That he would sit there and argue. Saul didn't argue. Why are you persecuting me? I'm, who are you? I'm Jesus. And then there's no more conversation as far as this part of the account 
records. Ananias gets a similar vision. Uh, this, uh, I'm Jesus telling you to do something. And he goes, but don't you know, y'all, it is not wrong to question God. It's not. It's not wrong to say, okay, Lord, I really, I, I hear where you are leading me. Is this really what you want me to do? Where we suddenly step off into sin is when we respond to God's, yes, that's what I want you to do, with, well, too bad. That's when it's a problem. God understands our need, I believe, for clarity. Now, he doesn't always give it. He doesn't explain too much to to. Uh, Ananias, the Lord says to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to, uh, to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Look at what God doesn't say. It's all right, Ananias, I'll protect you. Uh uh-uh. uh. Ananias doesn't know when God's going to use him. God, Ananias doesn't know when all this will come to pass. It might be after Saul throws Ananias in prison and has him killed. He doesn't know the ending, the immediate ending. He knows the future ending, but he doesn't know the immediate ending. But he goes because there's no links, no limit to the links of God's assurance. When God invites you into what he is doing, you can go with confidence. When God says, get up and go talk to this person, go. Gilbert was telling me a story this morning about uh, some years ago ministering in a, a prison in uh, De Quincey, you said, Gilbert? Is that where it was? Um, where they went, he went during the day and everybody was out and Gilbert was in the barracks. And there was one person in the barracks, obviously didn't want to talk to anybody, and he was reading a, a book. And uh, Gilbert hesitated, he told me, because you don't get a lot of alone time in a prison. So he hesitated to talk to this guy, but he felt like he should. So he went up and just asked him, uh, I believe the question you asked him was, if you fell out of that bed right now, busted your head and died, would you go to heaven or hell? It's a very blunt question. Uh, uh, but, but you know what that man said? I don't know. I've been thinking about that lately. And Gilbert shared the plan of salvation with him and the man accepted Christ, trusted him as his savior, and his response after that was, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me how I could be saved. Now, Gilbert could have said, I don't want to disturb the man, but God said, go talk to him. I've been working on that man for weeks, for months maybe, and now's his time if you'll just go. When God invites you into what he is doing, you can go with uh, confidence. Number five, there is no limit to the lengths of usefulness in God's kingdom. Verses 15 and 16, the Lord said to him, said to Ananias about Saul, he's my chosen instrument to take take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for, for my name. You know, after the question prior, that there was, Ananias wasn't going to ask it because he's already gotten his answer, but he, you know he was thinking, you're going to use the persecutor? You, you, you almost, uh, uh, 
you would think, um, but Philip's like totally in tune with your spirit. I mean, Philip gets it, God. Uh, he, 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 he goes like right when you say go. Because you magically appear in places. Um, Philip would be great, God. Peter and John, they, they are so eloquent when they get into court. It's just amazing because that's not the, the hot-headed, uh, run-off-at-the-mouth Peter that we're used to. Peter and John would be great. Uh, maybe Ananias was going, um, Lord, right here, you know, I've been in Damascus three or four years now, been following you. I'm, I'm getting visions and stuff. Maybe I'd be a good one. But not the persecutor. Not, not Saul, not the one breathing murder against the way. And God says, absolutely, the one I have chosen. Because we see when God saves you, there is no limit to how he can use you. There's nothing God can't do through you if you will submit to him and allow him to do it. There, there, there are no small interactions in God's kingdom. There's no time when you can just sit back and say, well, this wasn't important. I mean, I know God said I needed to do it, but clearly this didn't matter. No, it always matters. You matter to God. You are useful to him. There's, there, I can't sing as, as well as Patty, and I, I can't teach as well as uh, JR, and I, I can't uh, do other, I can't paint as well as uh, Marsha. I can't, I, 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 there are lots of things I just can't do, God, and he says, you can do anything that I tell you to. You are mine. You are my tool. You are my earthen vessel. Yeah, you're cracked. You're a bunch of cracked pots. But I can use you if you will let me. There's nothing, nothing he can't do through you. Y'all, we're never going to hear from Ananias again. All he did was go and pray for a dude. I mean, let's be honest. That's all he did. He just went and said, Holy Spirit, come into it. I mean, that's, that's, that's all we got. And he disappears. But usefulness doesn't mean comfort. Oh, I don't like to teach. Don't matter. I mean, remember, I've told you before, I did not like public speaking before I was called to be a pastor. I ran from my real calling for five years because I was determined God would never call me to be a public speaker, and now you can't shut me up. <laughs> Usefulness does not mean comfort. God is going to use you according to his wishes and not yours. And then lastly, we see his, the links of his promise. There is no end to the links of his promise. He, he told, Jesus told Saul on the road what would happen. Um, and it happened. What Saul had been told about Ananias happened. Uh, the orders he, he received the orders in Damascus once he got there, and he was staying at this house of Judas on the street called Straight. Uh, as a matter of uh, uh, just information, if you ever get to go to Damascus, the street, Straight Street is still there. 
It's still the main drag through Damascus, and it was a very wealthy area at the time, businesses and homes. Um, He's staying there with Judas. He got the orders that he was told he was going to get. When Paul believed, Saul believed, he was saved. The promise was the same for Saul that it was for Simon the Magician, that it was for the Ethiopian, that it was for the Samaritans, that it was for the priests, that it was for the people who heard the message on Pentecost, that it was for the disciples, that it was for all those that heard at the Sermon on the Mount. The promise was the same for all of them. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. That's the promise. And it did not matter who they were. It did not matter who they came, where they came from. If you believe, you will be saved. If you don't believe me, read uh, from John, 1, cha- uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, through the rest of John. And see how many times he says, believe, believe, believe. When Saul believed... He was saved. The promise of the gospel is that God is faithful. And his promise will follow you wherever. There is no end to the lengths of his promise. This morning, you need to understand, unbeliever, someone who hasn't trusted Jesus, you need to understand there's no one beyond the reach of Jesus. It does not matter, because I want to say this, I said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again, it does not matter what you've done, it doesn't matter who you are. We talked about this a little bit even in Sunday school this morning. <laughs> Imagine that. That it doesn't matter where you came from, it does not matter your financial status, it does not matter what side of which tracks you were born on, it doesn't matter what your parents did, what they brought you up in, how they raised you, what they did to you when they raised you, what you are involved in now, whether you think you're good, or whether you think you're too good to be saved, or whether you think you are too bad to be saved, you're wrong on both of, both of those counts. There is no one beyond the reach of Jesus. There is no sin you have committed that disqualifies you from salvation. That is the message to unbelievers, but that, this morning, is also the message to believers. I'm pretty sure I've asked you this question before. Think of that one person that you don't believe could ever be saved. Yeah, they can. Yes, they can. Yep. Yep, even that person. Oh, yeah, I know, you just thought of somebody else. Nope. He can, too. And so can she nobody. The only thing holding you back or that person back from a late relationship with Jesus is you. Let me say it the way it's written. The only thing holding you back from a relationship with Jesus is you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning and you don't believe you can, the only person that is telling you that you can't, other than the devil, is you. You're listening to the wrong information. You're getting it from the wrong source. Fake news, right? You can be saved, and you can be saved 
this morning because Jesus went to great lengths to save you. Unbeliever, hear that message. Believer, internalize that message for the unbeliever. Because no matter how good you think you are now or think you were then, you are no more saved without Jesus than the person you're thinking of. Your sins might have been different, but they didn't condemn you any more or any less. You were bound for the same hell that they are. So make this your motivation, that Jesus can save anybody. This morning, you need to make a decision. You may need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Let him save you this morning. Respond in faith to what he is doing. Maybe you need to respond as a believer in faith. Yes, God really can save that person. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that you have worked in our lives, that, that you continue to work in our lives, that, that there is no end to your grace. It is, in the truest sense of the word, infinite. As long as there is sin, there is grace. This side of when Jesus comes back. As long as there is a gospel message, there is opportunity. Lord, I pray this morning that someone hearing this message will respond. They will let the, the, the scales fall off their heart. They will hear this gospel message and respond in faith. Broken, probably, but amazed that, Lord, you love them. That you want to save them. I pray that they would respond in faith today to that salvation. I pray that believers would respond in humility and repentance where we have limited your grace by our actions, our words, our beliefs. And understand there is no person on this earth that you, Lord, don't love. And there's no person on this earth that you, Jesus, didn't die for. And it's our responsibility to take that message to them. So, Lord, may we see that responsibility with the eyes of one who is amazed that we're saved. Not that you could save anybody else, but that you could save me. And let that fuel our desire to see others experience the same salvation we have. Thank you for this message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The lengths of grace are amazing. God's holy and just, and he's going to judge sin, and He's giving you an opportunity to, to respond, to, to set aside the past, to move beyond it. You, you and I are willfully sinful and fallen, but Jesus wants to save us. Jesus wants to do something in our lives. This morning, you can experience salvation. Repent of your sin. Follow him. Believer, repent of your pride, your... Uh, your choice to not believe that somebody could be saved. This morning, you come, pray with me if that is your need or desire. Pray with Tom over here to my right. Uh, if you would like, come to the prayer rails, lift it up to Jesus. If you have questions about how to be saved, we'd love to walk you through that. This morning, as we sing, let's stand.
and you do business with God today.